If you're like me, when you flip through Facebook, sometimes you see those series of uh, stories about military moms and dads coming home to surprise their kids. Um, we've all seen this, and I don't know uh, about you, but every time I like bite on that and actually watch it, I cry. I mean, every single time. There's something about a, a parent surprising their kid after they've been gone for so long and the jubilation of the child to actually greet their parents. It's like it, it, there's something that just completely grabs me about that. And um, I guess the main message today is like if that doesn't happen to you, you need serious help. You are a major problem for society because we should all stand in reverent awe of the connection between a father and his daughter or a mother and their child. There's something to behold about it that is like, it's, it's special. It's almost the essence of what it means to be human. The connection that happens between a father and a son, a mother and a son. There, there's something about it that when it is perfectly right, there's nothing else in the world that could be more right. And then when it goes wrong, it's almost like, well, that's everything. You lost it all. There's nothing else that matters if we don't have that intact. And there's something about that relationship um, that I want to tease out today because I think it's the essence of what it means to be human and what it really feels like to experience life the way that we're supposed to on this earth. Imagine one of those stories, a, a, a girl, a fourth grade girl, is sitting in class and that day she just decides to get a little mouthy. She mouths off to her, to her teacher and because of that she gets sent to the principal's office. And she's sitting in the principal's office and she doesn't know that her father has come home from two years of being overseas serving in the military and he's gonna come to school that day and surprise her and she doesn't know. So she just decided to mouth off because it's just what she does sometimes. This time it got her in trouble. So she gets sent into the principal's office the day that her dad is coming home to surprise her at school. So the dad shows up and finds the teacher that was there to help him and he tells uh, the dad, well, your daughter's not in the classroom. She's actually in the principal's office. Why? Well, she was a little mouthy today. She got in trouble today. So the father has to kind of redo his plans. And he works something out with the teacher where he says, I'm going to stand out there and I'm going to wait for her and I want you to go in and tell, just tell uh, my daughter that, you know, her parent is there. One of your, your parents are here. You need to come and, uh, and see him. And when she comes out, she'll be surprised and she'll be happy to see me and it'll be really special. So he stands outside in the lobby of the office. The teacher goes in to the office and says, well, your parent is here now to see you. And she says, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going out there. And she walks out. She, she stays in there, the teacher goes out and says, she won't come out. So the, 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 the father says, tell her I'm calling her name. Tell her I'm calling out to her, like I want her to come out here. Teacher goes back in and says, he's calling your name, or, or your parent is calling your name, doesn't give it away. 
She said, I don't want to go out there. I, there's no way I want to go out there. I, I'm, I'm in trouble. I, 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 don't, I can't imagine. So then he says, open the door and let me get my voice to go through. So for the first time, the dad yells through the door without being seen and says, hey, Rebecca, I'm here to see you. And the daughter has this moment where she recognizes that voice. And she's overwhelmed with joy because it could be her dad. But at the same time, she feels something of a lack of connection, something that's making her not want to go out there because she's just done this thing. And she has that thought that any kid would have. If that is my dad, then how would I ever want to be seen by him this day? He's been gone. He's excited to see me. And I show up uh, in his arms having done something so bad, I ended up in the principal's office. There's no way he wants to see me, she thinks. And the dad just yells louder, come here. I'm here for you. She won't leave. So the dad comes to the door and the daughter rises up with joy and tears at the same time and runs to her father and says, I'm sorry, daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did it. And the dad goes, I don't even know what you did. And I don't really care. I'm just here to see you. And she's disarmed. And there's the moment we all cry when we watch that happen. The question that every one of us need to ask about that particular scenario is, why was she afraid? What was she feeling when she didn't want to come forward to see her father or, or to be seen by her parents? What, 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 what experience was happening? What was going on in her heart? What emotion was she feeling? And is there ever been a time in your life where you have done something, you did something, you said something. Maybe even you just thought something. Maybe you actually committed some type of wrong or you did and actually committed a crime or maybe you just said something wrong or maybe you went somewhere wrong and you felt something inside of you that made you feel like because of what you did, God doesn't love you. Or because of what you did or said, some people won't connect with you. They won't accept you. They won't believe in you. They won't want to embrace you. You see, what the little girl was afraid of and what she was feeling and why she was afraid to be seen is a word that there's been a ton of research done on recently. And if you want to learn about it specifically, you can go Google a TED Talk and learn a lot more about it than what I'm going to talk about today. But the word is shame. She was feeling shame. She felt in that moment that because of what she had done, she was not worthy of love and connection and belonging. Shame is the intensely painful feeling of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Many authors and researchers that have done great work in shame call shame the swampland of the soul. That it's one of those places that's so icky and so difficult and so rich with challenge and hurt and, and emotion that it is so difficult to wade through and figure out. And today what I wanna do is I wanna bring 
some focus around this idea of shame because there's something about shame that connects directly to what it means to be human or what it means to not feel certain things as the way we were designed to as humans. Shame is something that we're experiencing all the time and you, or you're observing it all the time on social media, all the time. In, 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 you'll see the, just the kind of the, the, the dichotomy on Twitter. We live in a Twitter world right now that is fame or shame. Fame or shame. I heard a story of a girl who was traveling to South Africa and she made a little, just a little joke about what it meant to be white in South Africa. And, and she was actually kind of self-deprecating and trying to be somewhat sensitive to her audience. But she jumped on a plane and, and flew there. And when she got off of the plane, she had hundreds and hundreds of people that had looked at her tweet and basically shamed her and told her that because of her joke, she was now an awful person. She was a horrible person. And this is what happens on social media. If you say something that's off, there's a whole group of people that say, you are no good. There's no nuance. There's no, yeah, you know, this is probably a good person that just maybe had a bad day. There, this, is, this is probably not just a, a decent human. And suddenly because of the one tweet, they went from someone that they just follow to someone that is worthless and unfollowable and not worthy of love and connection. At the same time, you do one thing right, you say something that's cool, that fits whatever the world says is suddenly acceptable, and you're famous. Everybody loves you. You're great, you're perfect, you're everything. You said that tweet, you made that quote, you wrote that thing. And what I find is that when someone puts something on Twitter that, that is kind of received, Basically, less is more. Because as soon as you say more, you print your paper, or you say something, then suddenly you become a little too normal for everybody, and now you're no good. So you shift from fame to shame. Has, has anyone ever been on social media and felt, I, I, I am not lovable. I am not acceptable. I do not deserve connection. I do not feel okay. You see, this week of human is, is about the way that we actually see other humans. The way that we actually do. You see, week one is talking about the way that, that God sees us and the way that we see ourselves. And week two is a little bit more about seeing ourselves holistically, that we're beautiful, but we do have problem and we do have issues and we do make mistakes. But what has to happen is we have to understand those two pieces, how God sees us with both, both, of, both of those things existing simultaneously, and then the way that God sees us knowing week one and week two has to become the way we see each other. We have to figure this piece out. Shame, what, what shame does is tragic. We don't just have to figure it out because it's the way that God sees us and we wanna be more like God or, or not see us through a lens of shame and figure out how he actually sees us. We need to figure out shame because it is actually traumatizing. When someone is experiencing a deep feeling of a lack of belonging or connection or believing that they are unworthy of being loved, if a kid feels this from their parent, 
if a, if a friend feels this from a friend, if a sibling feels this from a sibling, if you feel actually like I am so bad, who I am is so bad that I don't deserve to be around them, research shows, it shows us that it is correlated with addiction, with depression, with anxiety, with self-harm, and with physical violence towards others. When people get a real sense of, I'm not lovable, there's nothing about, I'm no good, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not acceptable, I, I, I don't deserve connection. If you feel that at home, or you feel that in society, or you feel that on Twitter, it actually starts to make people implode. The anxiety goes up, the depression goes up, the self-harm goes up, and what really is happening with shame is this is a series called Human, and shame is a dehumanizing agent. It literally makes people start to deteriorate in terms of what they were intended to feel and experience as humans. They start to lose a sense of self. You start to feel like you don't, aren't, aren't lovable. You start to th see yourself as unlovable. You start to turn in on yourself. You start to fight and bring it out towards everybody else. In fact, shame is a trauma response. When you don't feel loved and someone is, is communicating in word or deed or action, or you start to take this to slavery over hundreds of years and people groups that believed that they were not worthy of love and connection, you could see why certain uh, of our African-American brothers and sisters have gone through certain series and have walked down the hall somewhere and felt that they weren't worthy of love and connection. What that does is that starts to oppress a people group. If that is believed by the people around you, then you start to see that people group turn into less subhuman people. They, they can't handle it. It just they starts to implode. You start to see um, uh, what happened during World War II. What happened with our, with our Jewish brothers and sisters and the dehumanization of these people and what that does to a group of people is it rips them to shreds. It makes them fight one another, it makes them fight you, and it makes them destroy themselves. All because the message that's being sent to them in word, in deed, macro, micro, the things that are being said, the branding on the hands, the places that they're being taken, all of that is saying to them, you're not worthy of love and connection. So shame is taken on and it starts to rip people to shreds. Now those are giant examples, but every one of us has an example. Have you felt this? Maybe it's with her side of the family, right? You go to the in-laws, you're, you're just not lovable. Just, they, just, they can't love you. One of my favorite movies, one of my best friends, he's here, him and I, we talk about this movie, every, The Family Stone. Remember when she goes to the, if you've ever seen that movie, it's a Christmas movie, it's a, I love this movie. She's just not lovable. She's not accepted by the mom, and there's all these reasons, and she starts to just break down. She's, I'm, I'm just as good as you are, she says. You, you felt this, you have felt what it means to suddenly feel like, I don't know who I am. I don't know if I'm lovable. I don't know if I'm acceptable. I don't know if, if I deserve love and connection and belonging, all the stuff. You know, they found research that shame 
while it causes anxiety and it causes depression and it causes self-harm and violence, that it also triggers in the brain the exact same spot that physical pain does. They've done tests on the human brain. And when someone is experiencing a sense of not belonging or not connection or not feeling lovable, the same exact part of the brain that lights up for physical pain lights up. So shame is painful. When kids walk into places and they don't feel just a micro version of shame, they, they don't feel like they belong with that group of kids. Like They just feel like, I'm not, I'm not loved here, I'm not welcome here. There's actual pain going on. With little kids, they actually cry. Because it feels, it is a, an experience in the human body that when you don't feel you belong and when you don't feel you're worthy of love and connection and when you don't feel that God loves you or mom loves you or friend loves you or coworker loves you or that you're valuable in that sense, you actually start to feel physical types of pain through your body. You, you, you start to wear it. And the reality is, is we all have shame. And here's the thing that's the challenge with shame, is we all have it, and research shows no one likes to talk about it. No one likes to talk about it. No one wants to sit there and say, you know, I don't feel worthy of love and connection. And you can see why. If you don't feel worthy of love and connection and you don't feel like you belong, well then how are you gonna tell the people that are making you feel that way that you feel that way? So what happens is when someone is feeling this, they get into self-isolation and their, their kind of destruction becomes cyclical and self-induced and it just becomes a revolution in their life and they just eventually explode. Some of you are listening to me talk about this and you're right now, you're going, this is me. I, I've had this, I feel this, I feel this here, I feel this there, I feel it in different places. The more we talk about it, the less we want to, and then we, get in, we, we end up feeling it more. It's lethal. The more we talk about it, the less we want to talk about it, so then we feel it more, and it just gets worse, and it just digs deeper. Shame is nasty. It has a nasty voice. It has a nasty kind of slogan that it gives to people, that it says to you. You know what it says? It says, you're not good enough. That's what you hear in your head. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then if that doesn't work, shame has another one, kind of its, it's, it's left hook. It says, uh, who do you think you are? You start to move past it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. No, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You don't belong. And they've actually found that the way that the shame voice kind of resonates with different gender, male, female, is, is a little bit different. That for, for women, shame actually says this. It says, do it all, do it perfectly, and never let them see you sweat. Shame is a web of unattainable, conflicting, and competing expe expectations about who we're supposed to be. For women, it's, I have to do everything. I have to do it perfectly, and I have to look like it's easy. I can't let them see me sweat. Maybe that resonates with some of you. For guys, it says this, whatever you do, don't be perceived as weak. 
Now, some of you guys are going, I'm fine with vulnerability. I'm fine with a certain level. But you know, it's really true. You, you may be fine in some areas. But the truth is that guys, because that's all I can really speak for, is I don't want to be seen as weak. And even if I show a weakness, it's almost like I know it makes me look good. If I'm being honest. Oh, we all have our vulnerabilities. But the truth is, is that where I want to be strong and I'm actually not, there is no way I want to show that to you. The places where I'm weak and I've conceded, fine. Yeah, I stink at that. Yeah, I'm not good at that. That's easy. But where you know you should be strong and you're not, you're afraid to communicate that weakness. Because shame tells you if you do, you'll prove you don't matter. If you do, they'll eat you alive. If you do, you will fall and stumble and never get back up. If you do, you're done, you're over, your life is over. If you reveal that type of thing, you're over. And so what, what do we do? Whenever we have something that we know is a weakness or a challenge, we hide. That's what we do, we hide. We just, we put the plants in front of us. We just put, we, we, just, we build something. For some people, this might be a smile on your face. For some people, this might be the car that you drive. For some people, this might be the clothes that you wear. For some people, this might be the friends that you have. For some people, this might be the job that you have. I mean, we all, what we do is we feel in a sense, at certain levels, I don't belong. And if they knew what they would really see if all this was gone, I would not be accepted, so I'm gonna hide. And we create facades, and we put up false identities, and we say, you know, I don't want them to see who I really am, so I'm going to show them who I think they want to see, and we hide. How does God do this differently? How is God's approach to us, our problems, and who we are very differently? When you read that story that we read when, I, when we opened up that was on the, the screen, the scripture, one of the things you'll see first is that God doesn't shame them in the garden. He doesn't shame them. They commit the sin. They do the thing you're not supposed to do. As soon as they do it, the indications are when it says their eyes are open, trauma. Something traumatic happens. Something happens to them that cuts their soul in half. They are totally thrown off. This is not the way it's supposed to be, and they realize immediately something is wrong, very wrong. And I don't want anyone to see it, especially God. So they hide behind plants. It says that they take leaves and they sew them on because something traumatic happened when they did that thing they weren't supposed to do, that their physical appearance was different, and they hide. But what you notice about God is that God doesn't shame them. He doesn't. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, the very end, the last verse before the fall passage that starts in Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam and Eve that they were together and they had no shame. 
What that means is that they felt that they were worthy of love and connection. They believed that they were good with God, God was good with them, and they were good with each other. They do this one thing wrong, and immediately they have such a traumatic experience that they hide and they cover themselves up. Because they go, I'm, there's no way if God sees me like this, I'm, I'm not deserving. He, he, won't, he won't connect. He won't be, I, he, I don't want him to see me like this. But God doesn't come walking through the garden and say, oh boy, ah, you did it, you did it, you did it. He doesn't walk through and go, you are a mess. You are awful. He walks through the garden and he calls them by name. He calls them by name. He knows that they sinned. He knows that they're hiding. He knows he's God. Now, one of the cool, like, theological things is the Bible says no one's ever seen God. So Adam and Eve are walking with God in the garden. Now, it is kind of poetic in the way that it's being written, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Sorry, this little parenthetical theological thing. If no one's ever seen God, then it's probably Jesus. I don't know, because he became flesh and dwelt among us later, but no one's ever seen God. So who is it? Is it God? Yes. Is it Jesus? Yes. Comes walking through the garden. Comes walking through the garden. Where are you? He, he knows where they are. The question is more, why? Why are you hiding? I came for you. When man does the thing, the one thing they're not supposed to do at the very beginning, God doesn't start off after they've done it talking about that thing. And he doesn't start off pushing them fuller, further away. He starts off calling their name. He starts off pulling them close. He starts off with connection. You see, we have to start to make the distinction that God does, and this is my burden for today, that there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, yes, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. I am not worthy. Guilt, you did something wrong. Shame, you're not worthy of love and connection. God does not walk through and shame. He says, hey, you're guilty, but you are worthy of love and connection. I see you. I want you. I want a relationship with you. I care about you, Adam. I care about you, Eve. I want you to come over here with me. Now, I know that you did something wrong, but you doing something wrong doesn't stop this. Yes, are there consequences for sin? Absolutely there are. Are there consequences for when we, we worship false gods? Absolutely there are. Nothing that a human can do will stop Jesus from wanting to be with you. He wants to be with you. He knows the thing you did wrong, and he sees you, and he calls your name. God calls out your name, not your shame. I want to put that up on the screen because this is everything. Because if God calls out your name and not your shame, then we should do the same. We have to start to see people the way that God sees people, knowing what God knows. I have a burden about this. 
When people do wrong things, when people are in prison, when your kid gets in trouble, when someone has done something wrong in your community, what can happen is this thing can seep into your heart where because of what they've done, you suddenly devalue them. And you might not say it, but you don't talk to them the same. You don't act the same around them. You don't actually think or feel the same way about them. This is the heart of God. God knows you did it. He knows you're a mess. He knows you're guilty, and he draws near. Something that that I think so many Christians have to wake up about is, you know, if you look through the the world through the lens of, if people do good things, I'm going to be close to them and love them, and if they do bad things, I'm not, you've got the whole thing screwed up. You, You need to go through life like this. Everyone's guilty. Everyone's messed up. I don't know what it is necessarily, but I already know they did it. I talk to parents about their teenage kids and they get rose-colored glasses. I know my kid would never. I know that my kid would never go sleep with that person or do that thing or drink that thing. I know they wouldn't. Now, as a pastor and being over a a, a student ministry, I have sat with parents who are telling me they know that their kid would never do, and I know your kid did. (laughs) They did it. They're doing it. The problem here is not whether they're going to do it or not. The problem is, are you going to love them knowing that they do? See, that's Christianity. Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. So when we don't understand people that way, we dehumanize them. That's what we do. God calls out your name. You ever had your name called out? You ever, you ever had your name called out? You know, research says that when someone calls you by name, it like expedites friendship connection. Just someone calls you your name. For the longest time, once the church got bigger, I, I gave myself an excuse. I don't have to memorize everybody's name. How could I possibly do that? No, that's not good enough. The brain, the human brain is smart enough to memorize thousands of names. When you call, when I call someone by their name, it, it's a game changer. When you call someone by their name, it's a game changer. When you hear someone you, you, you give a compliment to your spouse. You, you say something to your friend. You know the difference between just saying it and then using their name first? It's proven to change the experience. Say, Mark, thank you for that. He said my name. Because when you say someone's name, you are honoring their humanity. You are saying, I see you. I see you, I care about you, I know you, you're an individual, you matter, you're big, you're, you're beautiful, you're someone, you're something that matters, your name alone, nothing else, your name. And God walks through the garden, he says, Adam, Eve, where are you? You think what you did is gonna push you away from me? Oh, there's a consequence. Don't let what you did change the way you know I feel about you. The Devil Wears Prada. It's a great movie. 
I mean, this is just such a great movie. And here, here's this, it was on last night. Andy is sitting at the desk. She's wearing kind of the frumpy clothes. She's in, the, she's, she's in this environment that basically exists to shame people. If you don't wear this, you're not valuable. And so everyone sees her. They make fun of her. She, you know, the, the Emily Blunt characters, what do you have, some, some hideous skirt convention to go to? She laughs at her. And then Nigel, this great character, he sees Andy. He sees her. He's like the one person that sees her and doesn't just see her clothes. And he walks up to her, and one of my favorite, he's, he, gives, he goes, I thought it was you were size eight, and he hands her these, these shoes, these stilettos. And, and she goes, oh, I'm fine. I don't need these. I got my own. And she go, he, he goes, oh, really? And she's, she says, yeah, you know, Miranda hired me. She knows what I look like. She knows who I am. She, she knows what I look like. And he goes, do you? Do you know what you look like? You see, this fine line between actually seeing somebody and not looking at the outside, knowing that the outside has to change, knowing that there is a problem, knowing that people are messed up and clumsy and fumble and screw, we screw everything up. We say wrong things. We do wrong things. We're, that's what we, we do. But when we have the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ and the vision of Christ, we see people. We see people's names. We don't care where they came from. We don't care where they're going. We don't care what they did. We don't care what they're doing. We love them. That's the way Christians are supposed to exist. And it's, 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 it's not just that you say it. It's not just a consolation. It's your presence. It's your presence. God fixed their sins. He did it. We have to go to God so he can fix our sins. But he knew those sins before, before any moment of him pulling away, he, he's moving close. We have to do this differently. We have to stop using shame with other people. You know, this is why people have told me that they love this place, is this, this concept right here, is um, we hear what's going on in your lives. We know that people are broken and busted and have made bad decisions and we welcome with open arms. You know, one of the things about 514 Church is we actually believe this motto, belong, believe, become. You see, the belong idea is this idea. We see you as humans. We see you as wonderful. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need you to be perfect. We know you're not. We don't, we don't expect you to have this great resume. We assume you don't. And when you come in and that's real, what, what we hear from people is, this is totally different. I, I, have, I have example after example of people who have come to this church. And the reason they came to this church is because they did something that they weren't supposed to do. And here, we love them even though they did that. Couples in our church through, that have had a baby before they were married. Other churches, shamed. 
Oh, you're not, we don't know. You know, that, 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 that's that self-righteous thing that we do where you did that thing and I don't know how to talk to you now. I don't know how to sit with you because you had a child before you were married. You know, Christians have this idea that, oh, until they get it right, we're not gonna get with them. And you may not say it, but it happens. We feel it, we do that. At our church, no matter what, we have people that have come, we had a baby, we want to get married, we, we were trying to figure it out, we want to be here. Of course, come in, could be here. Be here. You're, you're, you're going to get changed because of proximity to Jesus, not because we make you feel like crap. And if we make you feel that way, you're not going to move towards Jesus. And it's not just something you can fake. you got to be able to sit with people and hear the dirtiest, darkest things. And if your heart is the heart of Christ, you lean in. You lean in. Because you know they're deserving of love and connection. You know it. Why? Because you were. We cannot shame people into being better. You know, shaming people doesn't change people's behavior. Isn't that funny? We have a problem with their behavior, so we shame them. We make them feel like they as a human aren't good enough. We think that for some reason this is good. It's actually horrible for that person, and it makes them uh, implode. It doesn't make them act better. Pa parents, I mean, you shame your kid, you make them feel like they're just a bad person, you think they're suddenly gonna have good behavior? You know what sparks good behavior? Connection, love, acceptance, time, proximity, value. Shame is a lie from hell. It's a lie. You feel it in your bones. You see that person. You have that di distance. That is not God. Shame is not in God's heart. When people are hiding behind the tree, he goes, come on out. Come here. Get over here. Get out from under there. I love you for who you are, not what you do. That's me. That's my heart. We can fix the thing that you did, but I love you for you. And anything other than that is not God's heart. As humans... You have to start thinking of it this way. We don't see people as human doings. They're human beings. Stop looking at people as a list of things they do and don't do and start looking at people as image bearers of God in heaven. You see them that way and you act differently. You think differently. Your disposition's differently. You move towards them. They start to experience healing. The key to shame, kind of the antidote for shame, is empathy. And the trigger for empathy is vulnerability. So here's the trick with that. This is why in Brene Brown's book, she calls it daring greatly. Because what happens when you're feeling shame and you don't feel love, you're worthy of love and connection is you, in order to overcome that, you have to be vulnerable and expose. 
And she talks about how that is the most courageous thing anyone can do. And anytime anyone actually shares a weakness, no one sits around and goes, now that person's a loser. When someone is really vulnerable and they say, I'm struggling with X, I'm struggling with this, I really did this, most people step back and go, jeez, that person just had the strength to say that? Because what they're doing is they're connecting with people. Because when you say the thing that you struggle with the most, everyone in the room goes, oh, I got my thing too. And it almost makes you feel free. Oh, they said they did it. I said I did it. So here's the trick with this. You feel shame. I'm not worthy of love and belonging. The key is actual vulnerability. I'm going to expose a weakness. And then the answer to that is empathy. Here's the problem. We don't have empathy. So why in the world would a person who's struggling, not feeling that they don't belong or feeling they don't belong, why would they be vulnerable when as soon as they're vulnerable, in a lot of ways, the world beats the tar out of them? That's what happens on Twitter. That's what happens in your relationships. Because instead of us actually moving towards people who are struggling with empathy, which means I feel what you feel, I see you, I care about what you're going through, not just what you did, I care about you and the state that you're in, and I'm gonna move close to you, and I'm gonna join you in the emotion of the challenge that you're going through, we go, oh, look at that, look what they did, look what they did. So most, what happens is, is we don't have enough people being freed from shame because we don't live in a world that is a kind of a, an ecosystem of empathy. So what we have to do is we have to create an ecosystem of empathy. In your small group, we have to start to respond to people differently when they're struggling. We have to create a safe place. The church should be the safest place in the world. It should be the place that when someone says they're struggling, they don't get shamed, they get called by name. They don't get pushed away, they get pulled up next to. And this is an attitude, knowing, oh, here they are. We have to, we have to start to think this way. You're a good person who did a bad thing. You're a good person who did a bad thing. We have to start to make that distinction in every interaction that we have, in every person. Good people, people created in the image of God, very beautiful people do bad things, and we pull up to good people, and we help them through their bad things. We have to start getting better at this as a community. And then the other part that we have to figure out is we have to get better of it, better at it internally, personally, and not use shame with ourselves. See, what happens when we feel shame, just like in the garden, it turns to blame. You can write that down. Shame turns to blame. Anyone that looks around the world and says, they're a bigger problem than me, it's their fault, they're the reason I'm this way, they're the reason I'm this way, is someone that is at a core level not felt worthy of love and belonging. So what they do is instead of exposing their problem, they wanna expose everybody else's and shift the focus. And what has to happen is you and I, we have to start talking to ourselves with truth. We have to start talking to people and seeing them as good people who do bad things. And we have to start to say to ourselves, I'm not an idiot. I just did something stupid. 
I'm loved and I did something wrong. God loves me and he sees me and I did something I'm not supposed to do. The heart of God, the real heart of God moves towards people and their brokenness. We need to move towards people. We need to understand the lethal nature of shame and we need to turn it on its head. The scriptures say this in Romans chapter five, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, when God gets close, shame runs away. When God gets close, shame runs away. When you understand the gospel, shame runs for the hills. Because the gospel says, I see you, you did a bad thing, but you are worthy of my sacrifice. I am going to die for you because you're so good and I love you and I want you. It's like a dad who comes home and his daughter is in trouble and he says, you think I don't know you did wrong things? I'm not here to tell you, you mouthed off to the teacher. Don't mouth off to the teacher, but get your butt over here because I miss my daughter. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus actually endured all of our shame. And when you start to think about the Savior, his love, his, his way, his way of helping us. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, bearing its shame, taking the shame, taking all of the shame that comes with being exposed, having weakness, taking all of the shame that you and I feel, the lies that the devil says that you're no good because you did something bad. God took all of that on the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne. Jesus sits in heaven and he calls your name. He loves you. He loves you for who you are not for what you do. And as humans, when we don't do this, we dehumanize each other. We cease to be agents of God's change. Let's do better. God, I just wanna take a minute and Father, just ask you to help us to see people the way that you see people. God, give us a, a sharp sense of clarity about people, about humans. 
who do things. We do these things we're not supposed to do, but you draw near. Help us to be like you. God, help us to have self-compassion, to understand that we're good people who do bad things. Help us to believe that truth. Help this church and just the, the ecosystem of empathy to just run wild. Not, not that people just walk around sharing all their vulnerabilities, but in those places where it's appropriate, God, that, that, that vulnerability would happen and that our church would be marked by a level of empathy, by a level of safety, by a level of care, by a level of concern, by a level of love that only comes from the cross. Father, thank you so much for calling our name. For calling our name. Thank you so much for taking our shame. Amen. This for my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, he faithfully bore. yourself you can't you see in the story God fix them God gives them different clothes God takes the skins of animals and covers them it's a way of saying you know you can't even fix yourself if you wanted to only I can I love you while you're broken so if you're broken and you can't fix yourself if you run away from me you don't get help if you move close to me I'm here for you because I see you I love you we're excited uh, to just be gathering right now to just be together. We just want to encourage everyone to continue to give. Um, 
Our church is going through a crazy time just like all the other churches. The church is going through a crazy time. I think one in six churches will close as a result of the pandemic and the things going on. It's a really challenging time. And so what we're trying to do is really get ahead of that. And we want everyone at church, if you call this place home, jump on our app if you don't already give and set up for reoccurring giving. And you know, I challenged our church. The reason we're here is to tithe. We tithed 10% of our annual income. That's what a lot of you did. So if that's like crazy to you, then just start picking them out. If you're a college student, pick 10 bucks a month and give. Be a part of being generous uh, right now. You, you might as well. And it's gonna help you. It's gonna help us continue to go and grow. It's, it's a great thing. And uh, so yeah, you have an opportunity to do that anytime. You can do it on the app. Super excited. And then I, I mentioned this um, last week. I'm gonna do a one-time message on politics. Politics, tick, 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 boom, because man, it feels like everything is gonna explode. And I think that we need to come together as a church, that we need to uh, get our minds and our hearts right on uh, God's view of our country. And I'm gonna do the best I can to help align us there. So that's November 1st. Uh, you do not wanna miss that. Um, I can't wait to share with you. Love you guys. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week for Human Week 4.